Thanks for tuning into the ES First podcast. We'd love to connect with you on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. So take a minute to hop on over and give us a like or a follow. And of course, if you're ever in Excelsior Springs, stop on by. We can't wait to welcome you home. So as we look into John, the whole process of this book is looking at Jesus, God, becoming flesh and living among us. And so what's the purpose of that? It's got to have some kind of purpose because I don't think eternal deity would throw off all of its godness is what Philippians kind of alludes to. He didn't consider being equal with God something that he needed to hold on to, but he threw all that off to become man. And why would he do that? And John tells us that the whole book of John is written so that you could believe in Jesus. Jesus is ultimately going to die, be resurrected so that he can bring to you real Life, But what he wants to demonstrate in these years of him living on earth is what it can be like for you and I to interact with God. That's what he's doing. He's giving you a demonstration. Aren't you thankful for demonstrations? When I was growing up, we didn't have YouTube. You know what I mean? Somebody once said, what would you tell your younger self when you were playing guitar? If you could tell yourself anything. And the first thing I said, it's easy. I would tell my younger guitar player self, invent YouTube. Because you can learn anything on YouTube. And it's so easy. But isn't it great to have a demonstration when it comes to the difficult things in life? And so Jesus is telling you and I how we can interact with God. And he's also revealing who God is. Right? So other places in the Bible, it says these exact words. That Jesus is revealing the Father. He is the exact representation of God. So think about this. Jesus, and we're talking about Jesus and Jesus and Jesus. Oh, wasn't he a good teacher? Wasn't he a good guy? We should all aspire to be like Jesus. Wasn't he this wonderful person? He says, no, Jesus is the exact representation of the Father. And one of the places, like, if you want to get to know God, know Jesus, because Jesus is representing him in Colossians. There's a whole chapter. It alludes to this. And so that's powerful for us and the rest of the world, because We have so many questions about God, don't we? We're trying to figure out what he's like. Is he mad at me today? Is he in a bad mood? You know, are we just sinners in the hands of an angry God? You know, all of these things. And as we look at Jesus and we spend time studying him and know who he is, what we find out is this kind and compassionate Jesus, this Jesus who stands for right and he stands for justice and he stands for righteousness. He's not in favor of the church, the religious people taking advantage of the others and trying to corner God and put them in their pocket and say, if you want to get to God. You've got to come through us. He's not in favor of that. What he does is he goes to the least. He goes to the broken. He goes to the people and he's for everyone. He wants everyone to come to him, but he's specifically going continually to the marginalized, the broken, the hurting, the people who have been bruised, the people who are cynical, the doubters, the skeptics. He goes to these people and that's good news to me because I'm all of those people, aren't you? Anybody else in here got some brokenness and some places that you're like, man, I just don't know if God would ever want me. And Jesus is saying to you and I, yes, I care for you. I would actually throw off all of my godness. It's not so great of a task for me to be equal with God, but it is great of a task for me to come and meet you where you are and show you who God is. And after I show you who God is, I'm going to show you what you could be like if you would follow God. That's the gospel. 
Here we are in the book of John. We're still in chapter one. We're not getting along very fast. So we're just moseying right through the book of John. So we're going to start in John chapter one, verse 35. The next day, John was there. This is John the Baptist. John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. And when the two disciples heard him say this, speaking of John's disciples, they were following John, they turned and they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? And they said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Jesus said, come and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah that is the Christ. And he brought him Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the word of God. We know that it's powerful and effective. Somehow these words are way different than all the other words we read, we hear, and experience. For some reason, these words ignite something in our soul. And so we're here getting a spark that we can fan into flame, that the kindling of our heart would catch, and we would experience a fire that would ignite us in a special way. We would feel it in our gut. It would be something so different, it would change everything about us, and we would become more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. So, uh, have you ever noticed that it's, it's difficult to change your mind? You know what I mean? And probably... You convince yourself that you've changed your mind, but really you didn't change your mind. Even harder than that is to have somebody that wants to change your mind or worse yet, you want to change their mind and they just won't. Like, let's say, you know, we just got through the worst part of the year, January, which is when everybody decides they want to change their mind. And we're into the kind of settling zone. It's like, nah, I'm not going to lose the weight. You know, no, I'm not going to run the marathon this year. No, I'm not going to save the money. No, you know, like we just go through and we just try to decide. But it's hard to change your mind. As a matter of fact, science has proven over and over again that changing it, your mind is a very hard thing. It's not impossible, but it is very, very difficult. Some people in here have given up smoking cigarettes. Remember what that was like? How hard was it to get past? How many people quit and started and quit and started and quit and started and quit and started and quit? Like, and we can just go right down the line. For me, it was, I was a Coke addict, you know, 44 ounces, five times a day. You know, that's what I did. And uh, it was a moment. It, it changed, and it, but it, it wasn't easy. And how many times did I start and stop and start and stop and start and stop? It's like, what about saving money? That's a difficult thing. Like you put some money and it feels so good to have some money in the bank and saved in this particular spot. And then along comes an emergency, you know? And you're like, well, good thing I have this money saved. Like, no, you're supposed to save that. You figure out something else for the emergency. Or a sale at your favorite store. Good thing I had this money saved. It's hard to change mind. It's hard to change someone else's mind. Just think about the times you've been at home with your spouse. No, honey. Yes, yes, honey. No, hun, hun. No, hun. Honey, yes, it is. No, it's not. 
Agree to disagree. Go your separate ways. Nothing changes. Why? It's hard to change your mind. It's hard to change someone else's mind. You're driving too close to the white line. No, I'm not. Why are you making this a thing? It's hard to change someone's mind. Something happens. And oftentimes when something happens, it's enough to make you change your mind, right? It's, oh, maybe I will get into shape. If you don't do this, then you have maybe two years left, six months left. Or if you don't do this, it's gonna, you're going to leave your, your family in bankruptcy. If you don't do this, your marriage is over. Until something happens, we don't necessarily change our mind. So here's Jesus. He's walking around and he's doing his thing. And, and uh, this is the very beginning, right? He's just baptized and the Holy Spirit comes down on him. And the Gospels tell us that he was 40 days in the wilderness, no food, just praying before God, tempted by Satan. And he comes back to his place where he's from, you know, he's in the Sea of Galilee. And, and I was there and it's a really cool area. Like at times you're thinking it's this huge area, but it's really not. Like from, from Magdala, where Mary Magdalene was from, to Capernaum, where Peter was from, is about a 15-minute drive in a car. You know, and just down from there is Tiberias. And just, you know, you're about 30 minutes, and you can drive to Nazareth. It's all very, very close. It's not these huge regions. It's, it's a country about the size of New Jersey, and, and everything is very, very accessible. So Jesus starts walking around. He's experiencing, and, and every day Peter is fishing in Capernaum. I've been right there to the port where in their town, in his hometown, where he would have launched out in his boat. And they said, this is where Jesus would have came and, and found him at his port, you know, where he would fish every single day. And it's amazing to see it. And you're like, wow, this is way different than I thought it would have been. But Jesus is just walking around and John the Baptist is out there and he goes, hey, it's the Lamb of God. And the previously he said, it's the Lamb of God. It takes away the sins of the world. He, he dunks him and all that stuff. And it's like, all of a sudden, Jesus's title is now just Lamb of God. You know, he's just walking around and John goes, hey, there's the Lamb of God again. There he is over there. And Andrew, and probably John, as we look through the Gospels, we find out it's probably Andrew and John, the writer of the book of John, John the Beloved, John the Revelator, who wrote Revelations, if that means anything to you. It's Andrew and John, and they just start following Jesus. And Jesus is such an excellent leader, you know. And he's so humble. He's like, what the heck you follow me for? <laughs> like, just test them, right? What are you doing? And they, they acknowledge, they go, you're the teacher. He says, you want to follow me? You want to see where I'm staying? And I think of such loaded language, because I don't think it's like, you want to come to my crib and chill and we'll do something. I think what he's really saying is like, you want to see how hard this life is that I live? You want to see what this is like to be, you know, the lamb of God? You want to just learn from me? Here we go. And they go, yeah, we do. And he says, okay, come. So Andrew is actually the brother of Peter. Andrew is the first disciple. He's the first one to go. That's the lamb of God. I want to follow and so he follows, and he goes and finds his brother. Of course, because if you have good news, you want to find your brother. Andrew has made a decision to change his mind and follow after Jesus. And he goes and finds Peter. Peter's a fisherman. We all know that as you read the Gospels, if you're familiar with it, Peter is a very rough person, right? He's kind of mouthy. He's always kind of hot-headed. He's, it seems like he makes decisions back and forth a lot, and he's just all over the place. He's a fisherman. Now, the Bible also tells us that Peter and Andrew, the first disciple, have a business together. They're fishermen. They're very good at it. They're doing their thing. And they also have these two other friends, James. James is one brother. And then John. So Andrew, Peter, James, and John. And the Bible says that 
James and John work for Peter and Andrew. Right? And their dads are involved in the business. And honestly, if you go to Israel with me, the next time we go, you're going to see this. And you're like, oh yeah, I could see how this used to be a family affair. Everybody kind of working and doing their things. And, and here's James and John, and they're in the other boat. And, and if we look at these gospels, what we find is that they tell these different stories. And here it looks like, you know, Andrew comes along and he's like, hey, Peter, you need to come see Jesus. And he comes and sees Jesus. And then Jesus starts talking to him. And then he changes his name and it's kind of weird. And then we look at all of the gospels and theologians have kind of come up with that probably Jesus was calling to them in their neighborhood quite a few times. It's easy to just think that Jesus runs around like the Pied Piper and he's like, follow me, follow me. And and there's 12 disciples and now we got enough. Do we need one more guy? Maybe we, you think we need another guy, don't you? I don't know. Can we get a girl and then just we could have 12 guys because they don't count girls and we could just add girls. It wasn't quite like that. I think Jesus was busy about calling because what we find out about Jesus is that he is constantly calling. He never stops calling. Isn't that true of your life? That God is constantly calling to you, showing you signs, wonders, all of those things. And so theologians have said probably that this is the first experience of Peter with Jesus. And Andrew brings him because Andrew is a good disciple. He's a follower of Jesus who is bringing others to the good news. And if you want to be a good disciple, you better be busy about bringing others to the truth of who God is and what can change their life. If you found something so wonderful, wouldn't you want to be a witness to it? When Jesus touches your life, when he changes your life, when you're a witness to the value that Jesus brings, all of a sudden you should be busy about telling others. And Andrew, I don't know what happened to Andrew in a moment, but I I know that it was effective enough. He's like, I got to tell my brother about this. I got to get him to this life-saving person of Jesus. I don't always line up with the theologians, but I like to, you know what I mean? When you got a bunch of people who have studied the book hours and hours and hours and hours across many years, you're like, oh, I side with those guys. But theologians say probably this is Peter's first interaction and he had as many to two or three other times in the Bible that we see him, Jesus calling him. Which means if we have three in the book, how many times was Jesus like, hey, Peter? What's up, man? Hey, bro, you catch any fish today? How'd it go today? Really quickly, Jesus heals a bunch of people. Peter's following. Peter's mother-in-law has a fever and she's dying. Jesus goes into his house and heals his mother-in-law. And she gets up, goes into the kitchen, makes sandwiches for everybody. That's what the Bible says. Not sandwiches, probably euros. So here's Jesus, he finds Peter. There's these moments. I can't imagine really what Peter was thinking in a moment. But now keep in mind, for hundreds and hundreds of years, they've been waiting for this Messiah, the one who was supposed to come save everyone, right? I can imagine probably his life felt a little bit like 2020, like it's just the up and down, the monotonous thing. What's going to happen that we're going to get saved from this tragedy? What's going to happen that the world is going to change? We're not going to have Roman rule anymore. We're not going to be oppressed. We're not going to tell us what to do. It just feels a little bit like you and I felt in the last year. Something's got to change. Is it me or is it them? Do they need to change or do I need to change? But the most difficult thing to do is to change your mind. And so Andrew says, the first thing Andrew did was get his brother and said, we have found the 
Messiah is the one. It's like the hot word. That's like the word that everybody is like, woohoo, Messiah. Did you, did you say Messiah? Let's come and see. And I can imagine in their mind, they're thinking grander. He's going to be the king, Prince Ali, mighty is he. Messiah is here and he comes and he's just this guy walking around the Sea of Galilee. He comes from Nazareth. Next week, we're going to talk about that. One of the disciples who ends up following goes, can anything good come from Nazareth? And here's Jesus. And Peter meets him. And I subscribe to that. This is Peter's first interaction. We don't have the whole story here. John probably packs it in and goes, yeah, here's the disciples are going to follow. And then this is one day. And he goes, the next day, you know, they're walking along and they found some more guys. It says here that they went with him and spent the day with him. But it doesn't say that they followed him. It's difference. And you can imagine all of the doubt and fear. Oh, yeah, sure, somebody's got another Messiah. I mean, we've been out here all the time, you know. I just get up, another day, another dollar. I'll believe it when I see it. Catch some fish. Keep going on about my day. Keep living, doing my thing. I work with my family. This is where I'll be forever. This is what I'll do until the day I die. Changing your mind, it's a very hard thing. Turn with me to the book of Luke, chapter 5. This is the depiction of what we have the next time Jesus is recorded talking to them. It says this, One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, that's the Sea of Galilee, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen. Peter, John, this is their livelihood. He got into one of the boats, belonged to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the shore, like any good boat owner. I think Peter is probably like, you want to get in my boat? What? He's like, oh, it's, it's for a good cause. I want to preach. And they would say that he would be able to speak, and because of the water, it would amplify his voice, and so the crowds could hear him in a different way. Instead of shouting into 50, 100, 1,000 people, hey, could you hear me okay? Now he's separated, and they can begin to hear, and amplification becomes a modern phenomenon because of the water. It says, then he sat down and taught the people by the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, hey, let's go out to the deep water. And let down the nets for a catch. Remember when he found Peter? What was Peter doing? Cleaning his nets. He's done for the day. He's like, I got a couple brothers. They're fishermen. And when they're done, there's not a thing you can do to get back in that boat and get on the water. Hey, you think we can go back out to the deep water? Uh Uh-uh. We're done for the day. Clean the nets. It's over. We're going home. Jesus suckers him in to get in the boat to talk to people. And now he has Peter as a captive audience. To keep in mind, he's already met Peter. He's been calling to Peter. Follow me. Hey, I'm the Messiah. He's working on Peter's life. And Peter begins to have these interactions. Now he's in the boat. He's a captive audience. Jesus says, let's go out to the boat. The Bible also tells us they went out and they caught nothing. And so Peter's a little skeptical. And other place in the Bible, it says that they go out and Peter's like, we fished all night and caught nothing. What's Peter's job? 
fishing. Don't you think he knows when it's time to hang it up? When he finished speaking, he said, put in the deep water. Let's go out, let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, master, we work hard all night. We've caught, we haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I'll let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat, come and help them. That's James and John. Come and help us. And they came and filled the boat so full, two boats, that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' feet and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. For now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore and they left everything and followed him. As I began to look into this story and do tons of research on Peter, and at one point I was going to write a book on Peter 10 years ago, which got shelved. I don't have the manuscript, so don't try to get me to publish it. Just an idea back here. Uh, So I've been a fan of Peter for a while been a fan of his story. And as I began to research, I was like, wow, this, this makes so much sense. Because what happens is, is Peter is actually, like I said, all over the place. The whole gospel, like one moment, he's like, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And the next minute, he's like telling Jesus, he's like, you're not going to die. Jesus is like, I'm going to die. He's like, you're not going to die. There's no way. And he's just like, goes off. And Jesus calls him Satan. He says, get thee behind me, Satan. So here's Peter, this this guy is back and forth and all over the place. And so it made sense to me. It made sense to me that Jesus would come along and we've seen the Messiah and he goes and he sees him in a day and he goes back to fishing. But Jesus doesn't let up. Peter's important to him. As a matter of fact, he looks at Peter, whose name is Simon, and goes, hey, Simon. Andrew's like, hey, this is my brother. His name's Simon. And uh, I think he should be one of your disciples. And Peter's like, cool. I'm not going to call you Simon, though. I'm going to call you Cephas, which is Peter. Cephas is Hebrew. Petros is Greek. We call it Peter. And it's powerful because Simon is actually this name that means wavering. It means shifting. It means unstable. Represents Peter's life pretty well, I think. And he goes, I'm not going to call you Simon. I'm going to call you Petros. I'm going to call you Peter, which means rock. I'm going to change you from what you don't build on to the cornerstone of a building. I'm going to change you from shifting to solid. I'm going to change you from questionable and wavering to concrete and something that does not move easily. And so he starts calling him Peter. All of the time, what happens is, when I study this, it became so real to me. Because here's Jesus, he gets in the boat, and Peter is like, hey, we're fishermen, you're a carpenter. Why don't you go build something, leave us to the fish? It could be just like that. But he doesn't. He goes, nevertheless, whatever you say, Jesus, I'll do it. And they go out and they catch so much fish 
And for somebody who has good days and bad days, you can imagine business. He knows what a really good day looks like. He knows the great days. And this two boats full of fish wrecked his life in such a way that he realizes that this guy that's the Messiah is actually who he says he is. There's something about this guy that's different. And I studied this, that only holy, righteous men that came from God could perform miracles. And you could tell him, Peter, to his face, yeah, this is the Messiah. This is the guy. It just, it makes sense. I mean, just look in his eyes. He's really cool. Don't you just feel something? Do you feel the love of God? And for Peter, he was skeptical. You know what I mean? He, he wasn't going to change his mind just overnight. It's going to be difficult to get him to believe. And Jesus knew that. Jesus knew it. For Andrew, it was like, there's the Lamb of God. And Andrew's like, yeah, let's do this. This is the guy we've been waiting for. I'll give my life. For Peter's like, nah, man, not till I see it. Not till I know. Jesus hops in his boat and gives him such a great miracle. This is why signs, wonders, and miracles are not dead. They're important for the church. They're in something that is so spectacular because they are revealing God's heart, his nature, and who he is. And they're confirming that other people can't do this, but God can. Other people can't raise people from the dead, but God can. Other people can't heal your sickness and your cancer and your liver disease, but God can. And when God shows up like that, we are going to have a response. All the haters and skeptics and everything else, it's unquestionable. And Peter drops to his knees and says, go away from me. Leave me alone. I'm sinful and you're holy. As I heard the fear in his voice, I heard the change where he's like, oh my God, I've got to change my mind now because I've seen this thing. It's life changing. And I could just think about all the times Jesus came by and he's like, hey, today the day. You're going to follow me today, Peter? It's today. You want to be my disciple today? Like he was just rolling by his, his house, rolling by the port, coming to see him. Hey, you going to join us? And each time Peter says, no, why? Because Peter is full of doubt. Doubt that maybe Jesus wasn't who he said he was. Doubt in who Peter thought he was. Why would he want me? What could I possibly do as a disciple of Jesus? The Messiah? You think he's going to change the world and I get to be on his team? All those wonderful things that he could do. Does he know who I am? It becomes more evident at the end of the book. And we'll talk about it. When Jesus is arrested. And they start looking for his disciples. And Peter's doubt comes back. Why? Because it's difficult. It's difficult to change your mind. A lot of people want to believe that faith means that I have no doubt. That if I believe in God so much that I'll never doubt. But what happens is deep inside of you is this thing, this imposter that keeps coming up and going, not you. All that Jesus stuff, it's not for you. Maybe that'll work for somebody else, but it's not going to work for you. Remember what happened to 
Remember what happened? Remember how that felt? It's because you had faith. You need to be real. Doubt comes in and creeps up. And I think that was Peter. So much that the first thing he said was not, wow, this is great. I've been waiting for you. Thank you for proving yourself to me. I think I'd be a great addition to your team. What he says is, I'm sinful. You're the real deal. I'm not. You are who you say you are. Feels like you're choosing me, but I don't think I'm worthy to be chosen. I'm sinful. Sinful. Go away from me. Leave me alone. I don't want to believe again. I don't want to have faith again. I'm just a man of doubt. Feels like we have to separate the two. But faith actually includes doubt. It is Jesus telling you and me, don't believe in all the circumstances. Believe in what I said. And here's the beautiful thing. Jesus gave him a point of reference for himself way before he ever, ever said, I'm sinful. What was the point of reference? I know you think you're unwavering, but I'm not even going to say that to you anymore. Everybody else will call you unwavering. They'll call you Simon all the rest of your life. They've told you that all your life from your little baby. There's unwavering. There's unstable. There's crazy boy. There's hothead. Grab a sword, cut somebody's ear off. He says, I'm not doing that for you. You're rock. Later on, he tells him, I call you rock. I call you rock. I'll build my church on a something solid like you. A few years ago, I was in Italy at the Vatican. Everybody talks about the Vatican, but the Vatican's really cool because it's Vatican City. But there's a church there. It's not called the Vatican. You know what the church is called? St. Peter's Church. And when you go out there, there's like a 40 foot tall statue of Peter. Why? Because God was willing to build his church on something everybody else said, unwavering, unstable, full of doubt, hothead. And Jesus did him a favor and says, I'm not calling you that. I'm going to call you by who I can make you, who I say you are. What we're going to do today is you are going to be solid. And everybody, every morning, get up. Hey, good morning, solid. Good morning, rock. Good morning, strong man of God. And in the Luke story, you notice it says Simon Peter. It doesn't say Simon. They'd already begun to call him Peter. In the midst of his doubt, he's a rock. In the midst of his issues, he's a rock. What's the difference? The difference is the one who can fill the boat with fish that can change your life, a life-changing catch. That guy, he determines who you are by what he says. So yeah, it's hard to change your mind. Difficult to change your mind. We start wearing labels. I'm, I'm divorced. I'm a failure. I had a business and it failed. I'm a dad, but my kids are clear across the country. I never see them. I'm a deadbeat. I'm a 
We start naming it right down the way. You wake up every morning, you have a label for yourself. But what would happen if you would just listen to that voice that Jesus is calling you? And you would let him do the favor of naming you something different. Mighty man of God, strong and mighty. And what would happen is probably your mind would change. And when God would show up in some place, some time, and he would do the miraculous, and you'd be like, whoa, I don't deserve this. I'm simple. I'm, go away from me. And he's like, no, I've been calling you. I've been telling you. Follow me. Make something with your life. Change your mind. But that's not so easy. Today's your day. Today's your day. Because Jesus don't give up. So what happens? The Bible says they left all the fish and everything behind and followed Jesus. You know what they went to? Incredible business ventures. They built, you know, mighty palace. They all ruled with Jesus and ruled over all of Israel as the Messiah and his leaders. No, no place to lay their head. The Bible says a fox has a place to lay. A fox has a den. Jesus doesn't have a place. And he did. He had a place. He had, he had a home. He wasn't homeless. But he chose to do whatever it took for his mission. And those people said, Jesus, your mission's my mission. Andrew started it. I got to tell my brother about this. Peter's like, this is crazy. Could it be that you and I are living at a subpar level? Too scared to change our mind because of the difficulty that it entails. Too scared to just leave it behind and follow Jesus. And I don't think that God wants you to just get rid of your, Maybe he does want you to get rid of all your stuff and move to El Salvador. It's fine. But what he wants is he wants you to love him greater than anything else. It's an incredible verse. It says that anyone who's not willing to leave father, mother, brother, sister, everything, everything to follow me is not fit not fit to follow me. Beautiful thing is he doesn't ask you to, he just asks you to change your mind towards him. God, whatever you want. God, whatever you want. Whatever you want. Maybe you're in a place like Peter, you need God to show up and to really tell you because you're a doubter and it's fine. Doubt is a part of faith. What happens is, is that faith actually begins to in the place of this doubt, because you have to have the doubt to have faith. Faith comes in and goes, there's something truer than that. There's something stronger than that. And you can never, ever, ever have faith unless you have the doubt that faith can conquer. So every day you get up, maybe I just don't, I don't feel like it today, but faith says I'm strong. I don't feel like it's today, but I'm a follower of Jesus and he's leading me and guiding me wherever he wants to go. That's where I'm going to go. I don't know if I have what it takes, but somehow he's called me and says, you can do it. Just do what you can. Just follow me. Follow my lead. And everywhere they go, Jesus does all these great things and they just tag along. And then Peter's like, I'm going to take this fish and give it to somebody and it's going to feed all this 5,000. Jesus is like, yeah. Do that. What did Jesus do? He multiplied it. Peter just there. He just got to be a blessing by following after the thing that Jesus said to do. He blessed it, broke it. He's like, distribute that. 
That don't make no sense. Don't matter. Every day of your life is God saying, will you be who I called you to be? Will you wear the badge that I called you to wear? Will you take the name and just follow me? Well, I don't, I'm not good enough. I'm sinful. I'm, yeah, so what? Just follow, just follow. Would you drop it all? Would you change your heart, change your mind to follow after me? Repent doesn't mean say you're sorry. It actually means change your mind. Change your mind. It's not easy. But if I'm presented with the right experience, change in a heartbeat. That's Peter's story. I changed my mind today. What happened? What, what, why is it different from the other day? When you, Jesus was calling me. He said, well, I got these fish. My life changed. Seems so stupid. Why did you follow Jesus? I caught a lot of fish. But really what it says is that Jesus speaks your language. Jesus speaks your language. My prayer for you is that Jesus would speak your language this week. And it would bring around a change of mind about that issue, about your life, about your salvation. Maybe you're just trying to decide if I want to even follow after Jesus. That Jesus would meet you in places that are specific to you. He met Peter in a place that was specific to him. He'd been calling, calling, calling. And I don't think it was the first time when Jesus got there. I think God was working on Peter his whole life. But when Jesus came to a specific place, it changed Peter's life forever. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? You may be at a life-changing place today. You could be at a crossroads. It could be at a place where you're like, something's got to give. Maybe it's in your work. Maybe it's in your marriage. Maybe it's in just your soul. Something's got to give. You fight every single day against your mind. You just doubt, faith, and doubt, and faith, and back and forth. And what we're saying today as a church, as a, as a group of people, we're acknowledging that Jesus is coming after you. Not the perfect you, not the one who is full of faith, but the one who's full of doubt. The one who may be running away from God and trying to figure out, why is all this happening to me? When will this all change? And what God is saying to you is, I've sent my son. He's getting rid of everything so he can come after you. Would you just leave it all behind because his life-changing power can make all the difference in the world. The first step is to say, Jesus, I believe in you. Forgive me of my sin. I'm going to follow after you. Many of us have taken that step, crossed the line of faith, but we're still living in so much doubt. And I encourage you to hear again what God is saying about you. Hear again what the truth of who God is. When Jesus changed Peter's name, it didn't matter who called him Simon. His name was Peter. And when God has marked you with his identity, it doesn't matter what they call you, what they place on you, what you wake up and say about yourself. What Jesus says about you is the truth. Chosen. 
chosen. I choose you. But I'm sinful. I know. I forgive that. I'm not enough. I know my power's enough for that. I don't know what to do. I know. Just follow my lead. And that's when we become what God has called us to be. True followers. Children of God. Begins with movement. Changing your Father, we change our mind today. In this room, there's people who are waiting for an experience where they can move to Jesus is real. God is real. I need that miraculous sign. I'm doubting. and I want to change my mind. I've been trying to change my mind, but I need a moment. I need a moment where it just, it happens for me. Some of you are going to walk out the door and it'll be different. It'll all be different. Some of you, it'll be two o'clock in the morning. Some of you, it'll be at work tomorrow. Some of you will be that your child comes in and tells you something to your face and it's going to change your life in a moment. But I pray, I pray that you'll respond. Jesus, give them, give them these moments and give them the strength to respond that their mind would be transformed and changed by your glory. Healing, restoration, broken places changed by the power of God. That forgiveness roll like an endless stream. That who you are by the Spirit of God become their identity. In Jesus' name, do great and mighty things in your people because they know you. In Jesus' name. Father, we thank you for all that you are. Thanks for finding us, visiting our neighborhoods, stopping by, calling to us. Lord, we love you. We're so grateful. We give you honor in our life. Praise with our mouth. We worship you for who you are. In Jesus' name. Amen. Give God a big praise today.